You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ashley Evans, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Everything that I say about the military are my and my views only and do not reflect the views and ideologies of the military, the Navy, Department of Defense, or anything of the above in any way, shape, or form. What happens when your best laid plans fall apart? It was the pinnacle of my education. I was a third year medical student doing my all important internal medicine rotation. An honors grade here would propel me to a residency program in any of the top academic institutions. This is what started as a childhood dream before even memory became concrete. I rocked the rotation, the highest marks. All that stood in my way was a supervised history and physical with my attending physician who loved me. It would be a walk in the park. Except that it wasn't. My attending was sick and his arrogant partner subbed in. The patient who had been carefully selected for my interview was off the hospital floor and in his stead was an elderly demented patient with an incredibly rare disease. It all fell apart. I sat in the workroom with my head in my hands while the attending berated me for doing such a poor job. My honors grade disappeared. My trajectory changed and the beautiful academic dream that I carried for years of grueling yearning and training disappeared. I went to the bathroom, vomited, and then cried. This event changed my future. It canceled one possible pathway in my life and created yet another. I am a different person. We love to talk about our plans in the financial independence community. We point out our goals and pretend that life is a non-deviating road, a straight path, but sometimes it all falls apart. What happens then? And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the What's Up Next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group. There are postings multiple times a day, and it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. Ashley Evans was active duty in Navy till August of 2019. Her plans to enter a master's nursing program at Yale that very month were cut short by an unexpected twist of events. She has been a frequent attendee and speaker at Camp Phi. Ashley, welcome to the What's Up Next podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having me. That was quite an introduction. That was a beautiful story. Oh my goodness. A beautiful story that was true and life changes. And that was one of the reasons I was really excited to get you on the podcast today. Stephen Boyer did me the favor of sending me your audio from your Camp Fi talks. And I was entertained to see that when you got up, you said, I have horrible stage fright. So you started in a very funny way, but the great part about it is that stage fright wasn't apparent whatsoever. You seemed like a natural up on stage. Oof, if only you saw the behind the scenes. <laughs> that is not what I look like behind the scenes at all. I do a quite a bit of public speaking and people are always surprised to know that I still get nervous and antsy and butterflies before I get up in front of a room and talk. But I think that's very normal. Okay. If the doctor says I'm normal, I feel good. Yeah, that, that's a good start, right? <laughs> I want to start out with a really basic question. How did you discover personal finance and financial independence? How old were you and where did you first start thinking about this stuff? Everybody kind of has like a story or a moment when they kind of find the, the financial independence community. And mine was a little different. It was this rolling journey for me. So I'm all about the journey of life and how I found FI is no different. When I joined the Navy, I kind of needed a hobby, right? Um, I was a surface warfare officer and it's very life consuming. Long hours, you're underway, you travel a lot. I just needed something that I could not be instant evidence, which was my rate or my rank at the time. I needed something that I could be Ashley. I needed something where I could kind of call the shots and, and be the person that I saw myself to be. And I happened on real estate. I met this person and I went up to him and I said, I heard you're a millionaire and I want to be a millionaire by 30. And he was like, yep, no problem. Easy day. You can do it. I'm going to teach you about real estate. And he gave me rich dad, poor dad. That was kind of my aha moment. I don't know how I'm going to buy this house or I don't know how I'm going to become a real estate investor. I never met one in my life, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this mythical thing that this book that this man gave me said I can do. So I ended up going to Atlanta to meet this man who gave me this book and he helped me buy my first property by the grace of God, for anyone listening to this podcast, I do not recommend meeting strangers in different states to buy real estate. But I did. I took the leap. Um, it all ended up working out. And then while I was researching rehabbing this property, I had stumbled on, I think, afford anything in 2016. And then everything kind of played out from there. And I've been hooked ever since. Ended up rehabbing that house and bought one more. And here I am. For those who don't know, Afford Anything is the podcast by Paula Pant. It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. We are all big fans. Talk to me a little bit about where your career aspirations were at that time. So you discover personal finance. You make this goal of, I want to be a millionaire by 30. You're talking about real estate, but you also had a very real career at that time in the Navy. Were you thinking you were going to be lifetime Navy or did you have other aspirations at that point? So this kind of gets into my background. My mom was a single parent, active duty nurse corps officer. So I grew up in a military family. When I was in high school, I lived in Rota, Spain. And this particular high school, it was very common. It was like the thing to do. Living in a coal miner city where it's like you grow up and you join you know, the local mine. That's kind of how living in Rota was. You grew up and you just joined the military. 
I think our graduating class was 28 people and 24 of them ended up going into the military in some way, shape or form. It's a large number of people who ended up going into the military. When I went to college, I went to college on an ROTC scholarship. I had grew up in this organization and I had this idea of what my life in this organization would be like, because that was what my mom's life in this organization was like. But what ended up happening is things just didn't go to plan. So I joined to be an OBGYN. I wanted to do ROTC and then do this program that pays for medical school called HPSP, so Health Profession Scholarship Program. And then I was going to be a doctor in the military and life would have been great. And that's just not how it worked out. I did ROTC, so I did have my undergrad paid for. But the way ROTC works is um, you request what field you want to go into, and then they choose your field. So I ended up becoming a surface warfare officer, which was drastically and vastly different from the nurse corps and the military that I was exposed to. So that's why I kind of ended up gravitating towards personal finance because the job that I ended up in was very, very different from the job that I thought I would end up in. So I was still finding myself and still finding out what kind of adult I wanted to be, what kind of career I wanted to have, you know, what kind of life I wanted to live. And the thing that attracts people to personal finance is you can define those things for yourself. That is what I needed at that time in my life. Did you feel that learning about personal finance and getting into real estate would become a profession unto itself? Or was it more like that was a springboard to do something else you wanted to give you more freedom? I still find it odd to say this is a career for me. Like I'm a lifelong real estate investor, person who brings in passive income via investments. That's just not how I ever saw myself. So no, it is a part of my journey. And I know I'm those things, but it still hasn't sunk in that someone can say Ashley Evans is a real estate investor. That's a weird sentence to say and hear. And it sounds like you still identified with this original goal of becoming an OBGYN. When we go to August of 2019, you were poised to actually start midwife school. Is that correct? I was. In this long and poignant roundabout way, you know, the the journey of life, I just so happened upon a doula who introduced me to a midwife who took me to my first home birth. And I realized that life put me on this journey to not be an OBGYN, but becoming a midwife, which is something that I'm much more passionate about. And yes, so I actually start school in August of this year. So I'll still be a midwife. You're starting in August of this year, 2020, but actually you were originally scheduled to start in August 2019. And this gets a little back to my introduction. Something unexpected happened that changed your trajectory. What happened? Why didn't you end up attending your program in August 2019? I'll keep it a little vague since it does kind of concern the Navy. We had an accident and it led to an unexpected change of leadership. Long story short, we were in a foreign country when we had an accident and it led to what we call a change of command. And the reason why that's significant is because the person who is in charge of the ship is the person who approves when you leave. You get a hard and solid what we call a separation date. So you request your separation date nine to 12 months in advance, and that's solid. But we have something called terminal leave, which is kind of like our paid time off for preparing to 
transition from active duty to the civilian world. And it was that date that I could take my paid time off that change. So we had this accident, we had this change of command, and the new CEO was put in this situation where he had to navigate a brand new ship with a brand new crew outside of a foreign country through the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway, which it's not something that sailors do often. We actually get a certificate of completion for it. It's not an easy thing to do. And he just did not feel comfortable with me leaving on the date that my previous boss and I had agreed on. So supposedly August 3rd, I had agreed on it with my previous boss. We ended up having a change of command in late June. So about six weeks before um, school started and the new boss who wasn't comfortable with me leaving said, I'm not going to let you leave August 3rd. I'll let you leave August 16th. Well, August 16th was a Friday. School started August 19th. All of my stuff was still in Florida. Yale is in Connecticut. So yeah, that's the story. Talk me through the thought process of what you decided to do next. So you find out a few weeks before that you are not indeed going to be able to start this midwife program. You are going to be leaving the Navy. How do you decide what to do and where to go? The first feeling I remember is being shocked. We did have this accident and it uprooted a lot of things, right? Everybody's boss had changed. So we had this accident. Now we have this chain of command. Now I found out I'm not going to Yale. Um, So I just remember not knowing what to think or what to do. And then asking people what I should do. A lot of people in my circle were like, you need to go to school. 48 hours is more than enough time to pack up a household and find a place to live and start school. And the more people who said I just needed to start school and muscle my way through it, the less comfortable with the idea that I started to get. And it really started to kind of subconsciously upset me. And that's when I started thinking, I don't want to get out of the Navy in this way. I I told everyone I'm, I'm taking a gap year. I'll be out of the country as soon as possible. That's what I did. So taking a gap year, that sounds like almost anti-financial independence. People in the personal finance world talk a lot about making money and being frugal. Is that almost luxurious? I know. Clutch your pearls. Dun, dun, dun. A lot of people are like gasping right now. And here's the biggest thing about you know what I want to contribute to the personal finance community, what my stance of personal finance stands for, right, is a lot of times we get focused on the numbers of being financially independent and we focus on reaching this phi number at any means possible. It's almost anti-financial independent in a way because the whole point of being financially independent is to live a lifestyle that makes you happy. I, I learned this on my gap year, right? There is no point in being financially independent if you're not happy, because what you have done is you have bought yourself time. And what you're going to do with that time that you have bought yourself is think about how unhappy you are. Is it luxurious to some? Maybe for me, it is what I needed that gap year. I needed that travel for where I was in life. And that is the point of financial independence, right? Like that is, that is what we're working for is to build a life that we are proud of and excited about and that gets us out of bed in the morning 
if you don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, if you don't know what makes you happy, then why are you just buying yourself time back to think about how unhappy you are? And I think on that slightly depressing note, um, I think that's something we need to talk about more is it's not just about money. It's not just about FI. Who do you want to be as a person? What kind of life do you want to live? It seems to me that this topic came to a point with you while you were traveling throughout Europe. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about what your travel plans were. I think, what, did you go to Africa for the first two months? I did. For anyone who knows me, I am not a planner. I could not tell you at all why I chose Africa or or any of the countries that I chose I like kind of had this plan in my head, like, okay, I'm going to start in South Africa and work my way up North. And I didn't do that at all. I didn't really go to South Africa. So I was officially done with the military in August 31st. That was my very last day. What I do is I just buy one-way tickets. So I bought a one-way ticket to Johannesburg, South Africa for, I think like $150. I was supposed to be in South Africa for about a week and a half, two weeks. So I only stayed in Johannesburg for a night before I headed to an area kind of known as Victoria Falls. And that's Zambia and Zimbabwe. Stayed there for about 10 days. I went to the Zimbabwe side and saw the waterfall. And then I did Devil's Pool, which is when you sit on the side of the waterfall. Went on the Zambezi, which is kind of like the safari dinner cruise. Um, so you can you eat dinner and you see the hippos and the elephants and the zebras and the lions. And then I headed to Botswana for two days. And then I went to Namibia and I stayed in Namibia for about another 10 days and went to a national park called Sausasvlei and Deadvlei. And then I had a cold. So my mom made me come home for a little while. You had mentioned before that when you made the decision not to rush and go to Yale, you had a few days, you said, I could really push it and go, or I could take this gap year. Part of what you said is, I needed to take the time. I needed to take this gap year. Was there anything about traveling through Africa that was fulfilling a need of yours? Tell me a little bit about how that was fulfilling your needs more than going straight to school. The military is a phenomenal organization that offers a lot of benefits. Job security, I say it's one of the best ways to kind of move up a socioeconomic ladder as you know quickly and efficiently as possible. With that being said, one of the kind of trade-offs is that you really give up some autonomy. And I didn't realize how important my autonomy was to me until I had compromised it in such a way. Going to Africa on my financial decisions to countries that I decided, staying in places that you know I chose in such a unfortunately haphazard and poorly planned out way, but in my way, it was something in life I hadn't done before. And it was always the Ashley I had aspired to be, but couldn't be. And I think that's what Africa kind of gave me. I was sleeping until like noon. And I think honestly, I was doing it just because I could. If I wanted to get up at 6 a.m. and go hiking towards the waterfall, I could. If I wanted to go dancing all night, I could. I had an autonomy over my life that I had never before experienced. 
And that's why I think I chose such unconventional maybe places, you know, most backpackers go to the Bali, the Thailand, Europe, the Philippines. I needed something where I could say like, this is Ashley's adventure and Ashley's adventure only. You mentioned Europe and I know that you had gone home after Africa because you weren't feeling well and then eventually went to Europe. And the story turns around a little bit when you hit Italy. I've heard you describe you saying you got sick there. What happened? Hindsight being 2020 and looking back on it, it started in the country that I went to before Italy, which was Morocco. It was about maybe a few weeks before my first drill period. And I started sleeping a lot. Like I'm a natural sleeper, but I started sleeping until about two or three in the afternoon. And then there was this moment in Morocco where I like didn't leave my little hotel for like a couple of days. And I remember I looked back on Facebook and I remember writing a post being like, I'm really tired. So I took it easy for these past few days. But then when I got to Italy, I started having like anxiety problems, panic attacks. And I realized that there were things that had happened in my time in the military that I wasn't addressing and that I wasn't processing. And it kind of came to a head. I was in the reserves and I had to kind of make a decision about whether I wanted to put the uniform on again. That is kind of when I started growing as a person because that is when I started addressing some of the feelings that I was feeling and some of my experiences in the military and things like that. So originally the gap year, you had said that one of the reasons you needed it was for autonomy, but it sounds like there were other things you needed to sort out that came to a head in Italy. Very, very much so. Things that I did not expect to need a gap year for. The military, we are very resilient people, especially ship drivers, right? We get the job done. If you ever have a chance to meet a surface warfare officer, they're great people to talk to because come hell or come high water, they're going to get the job done. That's what we're trained to do. And I had never had like a time in my life where I could sit down and reflect because it was go, 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 go for six years. And then when I did stop and I had this time to kind of reflect on who I was as a person and my experiences in those six years, it brought something out that I didn't expect, that I didn't know needed to be brought out. And it was hard. It was very hard, but it was very necessary work. And I don't think I would do as well in school as I now feel like I'll do had I not had those experiences. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. It must have been also hard to be in a foreign country, locked in a bedroom in a hotel and feeling disconnected. How did you manage that? How did you make the emotional turn to go from I'm feeling really bad to getting help? Oof. So this is this is when it gets like personal, right? Like this is when... The interview gets hard. I wish I could say that I had the foresight or the maturity to say that I just walked in and got help somewhere. But honestly, that's just not what happened. It just got that bad is is what happened. It just got that bad where I was starting to worry the people around me. I was starting to worry myself. And I have this friend, the work that she does, and I don't think she knows that she does it, but she does profound and significant work with women in the military and, you know, addressing their feelings and addressing their mental health. She said, Ashley, I am going to bug you about making an appointment with a therapist every hour until you do it. And she literally gave me like what we call in the military, like a poem, like a plan of milestones accomplishments and milestones, whatever POAM stands for. And it was like a checklist, like call this number, make an appointment with these people. And I would have to call her for every step that I did. We are now at that level where I'm going to micromanage your mental health care. It was not pretty. It was, it was bad. It was bad. So it sounds like your first step was to find a therapist where you were and to start talking through some of these issues. Yeah. So I actually went to a website. They basically provide online services. We have free healthcare in the military, but you have to have time to manage getting there. I just didn't feel like I did. 
I'll pay for it. Sign up. I'll pay for it. I just can't continue to feel like this. It sounds like putting on my doctor's hat here, you had an acute anxiety, possibly depressive episode. So I want to get to what you learned while you were sitting in the hotel room, getting therapy in a foreign country, starting to feel better. What did you learn about yourself? Okay, so it's such a deep question. The biggest thing that I learned and the thing that I still struggle with that I still work on to this day. It's it's actually the thing that I said I needed this gap year because I don't think had I taken it, I would have done well as well as I feel like I'll do now. My therapist had this moment where she said, you talk about some of the mean things that people said to you in the military. And there were a lot of mean things. You never be successful in this organization. And why do you seem to be in the middle of all of these problems? And you don't belong here. Just, just that kind of thing. Like when you grow up how I did, I'm a huge nerd. I was an engineer in college. I was that straight A student and sat in the front of the class. And then that wasn't my experience in the military. You internalize it. You, you internalize it in a way that you didn't know you ever could internalize things. And my therapist looked at me and she said, you know, you don't even need the military to say mean things to yourself anymore. You do it on your own now. It's difficult to hear that uh, you don't know how to be nice to yourself. That is what I've been working on. How do you learn how to change your thoughts? To me, thoughts are almost like blinking or breathing. There's something controlled by the brainstem, but that's not true. You have to train how your brain talks to you. And it's hard. That's, that's definitely been the hardest lesson to learn. As you describe this herring event in your life, it sounds scary and it sounds hard. But looking back now, what do you think would have happened to you if you had gotten on that plane and gone directly to nursing school instead of taking that gap year? I would have failed out of school beyond a shadow of it, like inevitably. I have no doubt in my mind, zero, 100%, that the universe was saying, or God, or, you know, whomever was saying, since you will not take this gap year on your own, we will do it for you. I was not where I needed to be to start this program. And I have full confidence in saying that. Life took you in the direction you needed to go, even as painful as it was. Very much so. And here's another kind of thing that I really want to put out there. The reason why I can say this is because I had the finances in order to do this. This conversation would be very, very different if I did not. Like you said, in the finance community, we talk about our plans. We don't talk about what happens when those plans go awry. And one of the things that I really took home from this gap year is like, it's not just about getting to that five number. It's about being able to handle life and what it throws at you. And that's huge as well. When you think about it from that aspect, not just being able to retire and travel the world, but being able to buy back your control over your life in case it starts going in a direction that you don't want it to go in, it becomes a requirement. Financial independence Yes, it's a lifestyle. Yes, it's a choice. But I'm telling you, it didn't seem so much of a choice when 
I found out I had six weeks to take a gap year. The Ashley Evans of today, looking back at the kid, and I use the word kid just because your mental state is probably in a much different place today than it was then. The kid who said, I want to be a millionaire before the age of 30. Do you look back and think, boy, I was a different person when I started on this journey? I mean, it sounds to me like you have much more of a nuanced vision of what financial freedom is nowadays. That is a good question. When I think back to that Ashley Evans, what I really think about when I think of her is I'm just, I'm grateful that she was so unafraid to do life. I didn't buy a house via normal means. That that first house in Atlanta, that house that is how I'm paying for school, I bought it via something called a tax lien. Nobody knew what that was. Not My mom didn't know what it was. So everybody thought I was crazy. When I was talking about houses when we were 23, 24, like we were on like our third paycheck in life. So was she naive? Very much so. Very, very much so. But I'm more just grateful that she was so open to experiencing new things and that she didn't let failure scare her into inaction. It seems like you were able to recover from what happened in Italy. And it seems like you bounced back and have come to thinking about finances and financial independence on a different level I've heard your audio from one of your talks at Camp Fi. Do you feel a certain amount of stigma about telling people about your experiences? Um, I know people don't like to talk about depression and anxiety, and it certainly is a taboo subject for much of the world. Do you feel able to express some of these thoughts when you're teaching people or telling people about what it is to be interested in financial independence and financial freedom? Mental health was never the angle that I was trying to portray. I think because it is so taboo, that's what most people kind of got away from that talk. Because I think those feelings, I think everybody has re- can relate to them and nobody has anyone that they can talk to it about. I'm okay with being the person to talk to them about, because honestly, it is very humbling. It's an honorable feeling to feel like you're helping someone in the world. It's my favorite feeling. It's a very gratifying and humbling feeling. When I gave that speech, that is not what I thought people would take away from it by any means. The speech was supposed to be about overcoming unexpected change and why unexpected change can, if you prepare for it, why it can be a blessing in disguise. And it turned into something that I never foresaw coming. I think many people would be surprised to know that it, depression and anxiety are a common side effect of financial independence, especially in the beginning. Because once you reach your financial goals, you realize that being financially well-off or stable doesn't solve all of life problems. In fact, it creates one less thing for you to worry about such that all those other things 
become front and center in your life. So I've talked often about the fact that when I realized I was financially independent, my first feelings were depression and anxiety because then I really had to address the elephant in the room, which was that my career and my identity were wrapped up into being a physician and maybe that was not bringing me joy anymore. So I think people are very surprised to realize that financial independence will not solve mental health issues. It will not give you a direction in life. It will not fix those things that are broken inside of you, but it will give you space and time to work on those things. And it sounds to me like that's a big part of your journey. What you learned during your gap year is that having financial power allows you to address those deeper concerns. This is the conversation that I I wish happened more. This conversation right here. I think, honestly, when you go to Camp Fi, it's very intimate and people get very personal and vulnerable very quickly. And I think it's because of what you said right here. There's a lot of distraction in the rat race. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of distraction that is gone. That's absolutely not there when you step out of the rat race and you get off of your hamster wheel. You are left with yourself in the most vulnerable and authentic forms in a way that you have never seen before. No one wants to hear that you can make all this money and it doesn't solve all your problems. Like that's not sexy, but oh my goodness, if if only people knew how it feels, how important it is to feel that. That's when you start growing as a person. That's when you really start turning into a person that you didn't expect to turn into because you didn't know you would ever feel this way. I think this is such a profound and and important conversation that I don't know if you could ever have enough. And I heard you say once that financial independence is not a marathon, it's a half marathon. Is that what you meant by that? The name of the speech was half marathon. Financial independence is the halfway mark. We often talk about financial independence as if it's like Mecca or the Holy Land, the land of milk and honey. You eat your beans and rice and your ham sandwiches for 8, 10, 15, 12, you know, whatever years. And then you reach that five number and and you're done and you're there and you're good. That's not it. You're not done. What happens when you reach that point and you think you're done is you find yourself in this new level of life where you bought yourself a lot of time to spend with the person that you don't know. It is grueling work. It is very difficult to use that time and become a more productive and aware, the person that you want to be. But I think when you do do that work of becoming the person you want to be and finding your life's purpose, your life's work and turning into that joyful and happy person, that is when you reach the land of milk and honey. When I say it's the half marathon, what I'm trying to say is, hey, while you are working on financial independence, don't forget to start working on what your purpose is. Don't forget to work on your happiness now, not when you're five, right now, because Being fi and unhappy is probably worse than not being fi at all. Happiness, knowing your purpose, that is the real land of milk and honey. So reflecting on your year and coming out of this gap year, what is Ashley Evans' purpose and happiness? Where do you see things going from here? Today, 
I was talking to the Red Cross and there is potential for me to volunteer as a doula, which is a person who provides uh, labor support while I'm in Italy. And then after I left that meeting with the Red Cross, I went to another meeting to talk about opportunities to do reservist time in Africa. And I'm sitting in this meeting after I talked about, you know, opportunities to be a doula in Italy and talking about opportunities to spend time in Africa. And I realized that I was talking about goals and dreams that I had when I was 10, 15. There is something about watching a child being born that will absolutely take the breath right out of your lungs. Um, It is a profoundly life-changing experience. And to be able to be a part of a moment like that, while I'm also abroad, which is a part of me because I grew up abroad, I'm doing things in this gap year that I had told myself that life just wouldn't be possible for me. I'm watching doors open that I had closed for myself years ago. And it is terrifying. I cannot describe what it feels like to have an opportunity to do things that, like literally my childhood dreams. And I'm watching them kind of fall into place. I'm going to my dream school in six months. It is a bizarre and surreal feeling. It's very weird to sit back and kind of watch everything fall into place. Any regrets about how this has all played out? No, I got exactly what I needed. I feel very fortunate and very grateful to be able to say that. At this point, looking into the future, we hear people talk about the FIRE movement all the time. The last two letters of the acronym are RE or retire early. Will retirement ever be a goal for you? It sounds like you're fairly passionate about doing some types of work, especially related to childbirth. I think it misses the point of the conversation, which is you have to do what makes you happy. You need to know what makes you happy in life. There are certain people who never want to do a single and solitary productive thing for society ever again. And if you know for a fact that you do not want to run a business, you do not want to blog, you do not want to work, you just want to travel. That's all you want to do all day for the rest of your life. I think when you're financially independent, you have worked and earned the right to do exactly that if it makes you happy. Now, I don't think there are too many people who will be happy. I think there is a part of human nature that needs to be productive, that needs to feel like they're a contributing member to society. I know I'm one of those people. I have dreams for being influential in birth politics and and the birth community and and birth law. There are things that I want my life to mean. So no, the perfect life for me is being one of those 85-year-old women who's in a paper for delivering, you know, a thousand babies. That to me is like the pinnacle of my life and it makes my heart flutter. I certainly wouldn't knock someone who knows that I've worked this hard so I don't ever have to step foot in any kind of role or office ever again. I think we should really take this conversation 
to do you know what kind of person you want to be? And I think it would change the F-I versus R-E versus F-I-R-E. I think it would change that conversation. Knowing what you know now about yourself and this journey you've taken, do you think you'll still be interested in doing real estate and doing things like side hustles? Or do you think some of that, you know, quote unquote, fire has burned down? (laughs) I see what you did there. I really only like three topics. And that's birth, real estate, and finances. That's Ashley in a nutshell. And even now, I have the real estate itch. I have a thing for autonomy. Real estate scratches some need in me where I like being able to buy a house and say, I want these walls, this color. I want this bathroom to look like this. I want to do this with the house. Every house is a journey. It comes with some story, whether it's tenants or maintenance problems or, you know, working with a contractor or navigating funding. And I enjoy that. I enjoy growing and learning and going through all of the shenanigans. So that was my nickname and call it hot mess and shenanigans. And uh, real estate really falls into those categories that sometimes everybody has like a shenanigans real estate story. And I enjoy that. I enjoy learning through real estate. Yale isn't cheap. And the reason why I'm going is because of real estate. That's an upside too. Money is an upside. Well, Ashley, I've really enjoyed this conversation. If I remember correctly, I believe you won our giveaway for the Economy Conference on our Facebook group page. Is that correct? I did. I'm like super excited. I'm super pumped. And what other conferences, meetups, gatherings are you planning for in 2020? Are you going to be at FinCon or any other exotic locations? So I won't be at FinCon. I have yet to actually buy tickets to a FinCon because they happen in September. And uh, when I found out about it, I thought I would be in school. And then the whole Navy thing. Chautauqua happens right literally like a week and a half before school starts. And they have like an all-women's Chautauqua this year in Ecuador, which kind of has like a profound significance and in a different form to me going to Ecuador. So I may squeeze in a Chautauqua. I always start every single year with Camp Fi. Speaking this year was my third Camp Fi. I will always find my way back there. But other than that, other than economy and the potential Chautauqua, I don't have too much on the schedule. But I'm always, I'm, I'm around. I'm pretty easy to find. So like, please say hi to me. And speaking of that, where can people find you on the internet to say hi to you? And what is up next in your life? You can find me on Instagram at Jetsets and Quarterdecks. And then if you are interested in my doula story and my birth work, you can follow me on Facebook at Birth Besties. And then just look me up on Facebook. I'm there. That's probably the easiest way. Facebook and Birth Besties are my most active social media pages. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Ashley Evans. That's a wrap. Thanks for having me. You ever scrolling through your Facebook feed and wonder, boy, I wish I could listen to another episode of the What's Up Next podcast. Well, now you can engage our content in two different ways. One, you can go to our website, www.diversify.com. That is D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com. And go to the top and just click on the podcast button. 
Or you can check us out on Facebook at the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group. The easiest way to get there is www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. We hope to see you there and engage with our community on topics very similar to the ones you'll find on the podcast. Now back to the show. So I'm really excited here today to have Jason, the Wealth Hound, and also from the Everyday Money Podcast. He's joining us to talk about one of our episodes. But first and foremost, Jason, welcome to the What's Up Next Podcast. Doc G, what's up, man? Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. The reason why we're doing this segment here is I've been trying to do a lot more short segments about our community in general and also discuss some of the episodes we've had. You sent me an email about our episode with Alan Donegan. It was titled Getting Past I Can't. Tell me a little bit about listening to the episode and why you wrote me. I hadn't listened to the podcast before and in hindsight, I actually really regret that. But uh So I have a little side hustle and it's shoveling snow. I have a relationship with a landscaping company in town and I've been kind of working for them on the side for a long time. I live in Michigan. We've been getting a bunch of snow lately. And the other night uh, I had to go out. It was 3.30 in the morning is when I left my house. And um, I was all excited the night before because my wife for Valentine's Day had got me some new uh, headphones to use for while I was working. And so I took my headphones, I went out there the night before I had downloaded some podcasts, one of which was the episode that you had with Alan. Um, So I was all excited, got out there. It's four degrees, cold, but excited to be listening to a podcast, throw my headphones in and start off. From the very start, this was the first podcast of yours that I had listened to. I was just really intrigued kind of by the tone of the episode, the conversation. I could tell from the very beginning that I was going to be learning something cool. So my initial reaction, it just kept, I wish I could have taken notes while I was listening then because there was just like one thing after another that kind of related to some things that I've been thinking about lately. Really awesome nuggets that now I have written down and and we can talk about. First and foremost, 3.30 a.m. as a side (laughs) hustle in four degree weather. Man, that's impressive. Well, here's the thing. You know, we're personal finance community, right? So not only do I get paid to do it, but I also get a workout while I'm doing it. And shoveling snow is like an excellent physical workout. Yeah, I was about to say that's, you know, not only are you not paying to work out, but you're getting paid to work out. So I, I definitely think that that's a life hack there. So I can't think of any voice I'd be happier to be listening to at 3.30 in the morning than Alan's. There's just something (laughs) about the way he talks that's so entertaining. But it's not just entertainment, right? Because he talks about some deep stuff. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you pulled out from that episode that really had meaning for you. Like you said, first of all, he made himself, you know, pretty vulnerable on that episode, which I can appreciate. Anytime you go on a a podcast, you're opening yourself up for a little bit. And especially for me on right now, like I'm used to being on the other side of the mic. I can appreciate Alan coming on and talking and man, he had such a great story. But some of the things that he talked about that I wrote down was the idea of like creating versus choosing your challenges, social norm, and his idea of like, I'm just going to take whatever anybody tells me is the norm and do the opposite. And I loved how he talked about how that kind of worked out for him. I really enjoyed you guys as you talked about the creativity aspect. You know, I've been working through that. And as as you were talking about that, I was like, man, when was the last time that I actually just sat down and thought for 30 minutes about anything 
with like intentional creativity. I just get so caught up in the day to day and so busy, which is one of the reasons I love shoveling. It's like, man, I get out there for an hour and a half and I can just listen to a podcast. How often do I get to do that? One of the other things that I really liked that you guys talked about was the idea of sometime the price is too much. So as I weigh my priorities in life, it's like, you know, at what point do I draw the line? At what point is it too much? And a lot of times that conversation and those thoughts are surrounded by my son or my wife. And it, and it's, and I know that such was the case for Alan, as he was talking about, you know, potentially being a stand-up comedian and how the trade-off in that case was time with his wife. And I think about that all the time where it's like, what am I giving up to be spending time on my passions or my hobbies? And those are my initial reactions. Let's break those down a little bit. I love this idea that he brings up about if you want the same results as everyone else, do what they do. Yeah. But if you want different results, you have to go in another direction. Although that makes incredible logical sense, I've just never thought about it that way. And it's perfect because like, I don't want what everybody else has. I, I want to kind of forge my own path. And I've always really wanted to march to the beat of my own drum, you know, that kind of thing. And so that really resonated with me. And clearly he's done that. He's got some really awesome stuff going on. You know, he really talked about this when he was talking about lean startups, right? Yeah. So this idea that the first thing everyone goes for is finance. Um, how do I get the money to start up this business? But he's really a big fan of trying to spend as little as possible when you start. And certainly while everyone zigs, that's a definite zag. That stood out for me. I really did also love our conversations about creativity. He used <laughs> the metaphor of a muscle and the creativity gym. And we forget how hard it is to maintain creativity. Like you got to work at it. Yeah. As I was listening, I was thinking about it as in terms of my podcast, we get in a schedule and there's a week to week grind and you almost have to because it gets busy. But when I initially launched my podcast, I went through six months or something and I looked back and it was just like, whoa, what just happened? You have to set aside some time to be like intentionally creative and exercise those muscles and, and go through it. Because just with life, if you get in a routine and, and don't really challenge that routine, you're going to get caught up in it and look back and wonder what happened. And, and I think that's kind of ultimately what my fear is and like where this episode resonated with me was because I'm 30 years old, right? And I've been going through a lot of transition in my life and I kind of step back and look up and I'm like, all right, maybe I'm a third of the way through my life. I don't want to look back and, and wish I would have done something different. And that's where I'm thinking. I love the fact that life coalesces. So as I'm interviewing Alan Donegan about creativity and flexing your muscles and how you have to practice at it, I was having this parallel conversation with Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins. And him and I have been talking about changing the name of the What's Up Next podcast. And the reason why is if you're looking through the charts or if you just see the name of the podcast, you really don't know that it's about finance. You don't know that we often feature panels. And Joe said the exact same thing to me. He's like, you got to write it down. He's like, write down 20 <laughs> ideas, then write down 50 ideas, then write down 70 ideas. And he's like, that's the way you're really going to come up with something creative. And it was the same message that Alan was giving me. And I highly respect both of those guys so much that to hear the same thing within a week of each other, <laughs> it really stuck in my mind. That last part you mentioned, this idea of when is the price too much or are you willing to pay the price? I was surprised to hear him talk about that a little bit. 
you know, normally we expect our gurus to tell us that we can do anything, right? You can do <laughs> yeah. anything. You can do everything. All you have to do is work hard. So it was nice for him to take a step back. It wasn't that he was saying that we couldn't do things. He was saying, is the price worth it? And certainly there have been things in my life where I've decided the price was not worth it, even though I thought maybe if I really put in the time and effort, I could do it. So that really struck me too. I think that was a big point. Yeah, that was huge. And as you're doing the podcast, and those are the things where people can relate and they, they're like, man, I'm going through that same thing, or I'm weighing that same thing in my life right now. And I got to think that other people held on to that one as well. Looking at the future, what do you think some of the changes are going to be for you personally in your side hustles, in your job? What do you think is coming up? How did this give you some clarity on, on what's happening in your life? That's like a loaded question. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) How about the two minute version? (laughs) Yeah, the two minute version. I think, you know, coming out of it, one of the questions that kind of became clear to me as I was listening at some point in your conversation, you guys talked about why am I doing this, right? I asked myself that, especially about, you know, my podcast and blog and stuff like that, because I'm going through a transition and I'm like trying to weigh out how much time I want to weigh on, on different aspects of my life. And so I was asking myself specifically about why I'm doing the podcast and blog. And as I was out there shoveling, I was like, you know, ultimately what I want to do is I just want to like bring the money conversation to everyday people. I think I lose sight of that sometimes. So, you know, one, bringing myself back to that, but then looking at our community as a whole, I think in general, everyone has the best intentions, right? Um, But I think sometimes we could do a better job of no crap reaching out to the lowest common denominator in terms of personal finance knowledge and figuring out a way to reach them. So I brought myself back to that. And that's what I'm kind of striving for, you know, ultimately being willing to take the risk. I have the confidence to do it. I know I can do it. It is a little bit of a risk. I mean, it's financially, I'm not, I don't have the the full suit of armor like you guys talked about on the show. There is some risk there. And as I've been working towards financial independence and all that stuff, it's um, certainly a risk for me to consider putting some more time in towards the podcast and blog and all that. One of the things that I think is great about communities like the Pop-Up Business School and also communities that you've formed with the Wealth Hound and the Everyday Money Show is that they provide really two things, right? One is that they provide accountability. So if you're going to get out there and write about something or talk about it on the airwaves, you automatically have accountability partners. The other part is support. Like one of the big things for me is I had started writing about personal finance before I even started the podcast and it had pushed me to make major changes in my life. I was, you know, a full-time practicing physician. I knew that I was getting burned out. It was time to pull back, but I don't know if I have the courage yet. And part of building that courage was actually to start blogging and eventually start podcasting. But what really helped is I went to a Camp Fi event so Camp Financial Independence, and I met a bunch of people and being surrounded by all these caring, supportive people just made such a huge difference. And I don't know if I would have made some of the big leaps I have career-wise, creativity-wise, unless I had that support. Yeah. So I think these communities we form are so important. It sounds like you've been doing that too. Hopefully this is another feather in that cap to hear Alan's voice. <laughs> yeah, but definitely. But you're also doing that yourself with Wealth Hound and Everyday Money Show. So congrats to you for building those communities around yourself. I know for me, it's been 
huge in making change happen. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I want to bring one more quote from your episode because I think it's awesome. Um, You guys talked about, I think Alan was talking about, you'll be the same person you were 10 years ago unless uh, you have certain interactions or certain books that you read or certain podcasts you listen to. I guess one, I wanted to say thanks to you, Doc G, for putting together such an awesome episode, intellectually challenging and, and really interesting. And I think you know, I'm not, I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to look back on listening to that episode out in the snow someday at 4.30 or 4 in the morning and, uh, and think about that as, as, as a potential game changer for me. So thank you. You are welcome. And let me ask the most important question of all. Do you think I'll get you to listen to some more episodes or maybe go <laughs> back in the catalog? I already have listened to more and, uh, and I plan on continuing to. So uh, you've got me sold. Yeah, I'm doing more one-on-one interviews, but we're mostly known for doing panel interviews of three or four guests at a time. So it's a very different feeling, and I love how intimate you can get with the one-on-one interview, which it's harder to do when you have a panel of three or four people. So it's a nice way to run the show is to be able to do a little bit of both. Man, I felt like I was in the room with you guys. Man, it's been a while since I listened to an hour-long podcast, but that uh, that was a good one. All right. Well, I totally appreciate it. I appreciate that email you sent me and I am going to do what I do with all my guests before they leave the show. I'm going to ask you what's up next in your life and where can people find you on the internet? What's up next for me? You hear me talk about it, but I'm just going to continue to focus on bringing uh, everyday money topics to the everyday people. And uh, you can find me over at thewealthhound.com. You can listen to the podcast, uh, Everyday Money Show, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, I hope you interact with me. Uh, If not, you'll find me. I'll be listening to the What's Up Next podcast. All right. Well, check them out at the Wealth Hound and the Everyday Money podcast. Thank you, Jason, for being on the show. That's a wrap. Yeah, very cool. I think you have a great story. I think it's... um, What? I remember listening to your podcast and and thinking like, oh, he asks like really deep and profound questions. (laughs) It is stressful being on this side of the podcast. Sorry. (laughs) Holy buckets. Holy buckets. I, I, I try to, my goal always is that I don't just ask 100% run of the mill questions and it's not to put you in a position, but it is to really pull out what your story is and so you have a very interesting story Um, and you're willing to tell it openly and clearly and you're not trying to clean it up or make it better you are just out there telling your story and as you said these are important stories right people need to know that money is not always the answer people need to know that just because you're going for financial independence doesn't mean that you might not get sick or have a problem or have a strange accident where your car gets run into and you can't get insurance and God knows. However way your life might pivot, people yeah. have to realize that that's part of life. You're talking too much. <laughs> no, no, no. The whole point is for you to talk too much. Like that's the whole point of the episode is my goal. The worst part is when people I'm like, and, and is that correct that you, and someone looks at me and says, yes, and then they stop and say nothing more. So that's the worst. So I'd much rather have you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I can always get rid of it. I think what we talked about was very important. 
And so I think there's an arc to your story, right? There's the story of the young woman who found financial independence, but had some issues that maybe she wasn't addressing or wasn't ready to address. Life circumstances happen. They throw you into this gap year. You have the financial freedom to take it, to give yourself time and space to address maybe some deeper issues that you really needed to address. You address them and now you're moving forward in a better place and smarter and more mature and know that money is only part of the story. And so that's a great arc. I mean, that's a great story. It's a cohesive story. It makes sense. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.